Hi, everybody. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Welcome back to the show. Want to give a quick shout out to some new followers that we have on Twitter at Beachbed Couple, describing themselves as flirty, fun, and secure married couple exploring ethical non monogamy. Well, you've come to the right place. Also, a big hello to Toronto Hedonist, T O Hedonist. Thanks for the follow. And for Frankie Malone, a corporate goddess with tattoos and a wild side. You've also come to the right place. All right, everyone. Today's guest not only was a serial cheater, it was more than just having several girlfriends at the same time. He was living several secret lives that people didn't know about. And then he discovered a thing called polyamory, and he embraced it. And then he discovered a thing called BDSM. Choking this woman with his high heel, he's standing on her throat. And just and choking, she's loving it. And you know, then he takes out the whips and he starts whipping her and doing all these things. And I, at the moment, I thought to myself, and I had to think very hard about this. I was thinking, I could do this. So let's get to it. The conversations you're about to hear are intended for mature audiences. If adult themes are offensive to you, well, grow up. So dirty talk, so yeah. sex talk. Yeah, it, it started off as dirty talk. I was actually like very excited to see my partner with somebody else. She looked at me and said, so you want to have sex with other people, that's what you're saying. <laughs> and you find it a turn on to hear about what he did. Yeah. And then it's like, I want to come home and get it the way she got it. Does he know you have a boyfriend? Well, yes. This is Consenting Adults with Lena Wynn. Not sure how to introduce my next guest today. Uh, he's 46. His wife is 49. They've been together for 25 years. They go by the names Orpheus and Indigo Black. It should be noted that Indigo, the wife, is described as the property of Orpheus. The stuff that they're into is wide and varied. We're going to get into all of that. But first, let's try to find out how they ended up down this road of non-monogamy, BDSM, fetish, maybe some other things I can't even pronounce. Um, <laughs> Orpheus, can you remember a time when you may be described by most people as a regular couple, like a normal, regular couple? Not at all. You can't remember? Not at all. We were never in a monogamous relationship. So when we came into it, I was already dating someone. And I wasn't ethically poly at the time. I was actually... Uh, Cheating. Yeah. For sure. Cheating and out there living a life of a, a cheater. And I had many different partners do it with, you know, having engaging in many different lives, not just relationships, not just play, but many different lives with multiple people. When I met her, she's a friend of a friend. When I saw her, she opened the door. I was like, this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. But not the only person you want to have sex with. You want to have sex with other people as well. Well, you know what? Let's make sure that we make a differentiation between what we're talking about as far as polysexual and polyamorous. We are polyamorous. With that comes some polysexual, but my whole goal is not to have lots of sex with multiple women. I did that in my early teens and 20s. You know, that was a, a definite goal. My job is to have multiple loving relationships where me and my wife have lifelong partnerships with the people that we're with. And I do mean lifelong. So you guys have been together for 25 years. Correct. And it's been you, your wife, mm -hmm. how many other people in this relationship? 
currently I have uh, two partners who I'm actively engaging with where we have both a sexual and a loving relationship, one for two years and one for six years. And I have uh, two other people who I am in a love match with that is non-sexual, one for 30 years and one for 10 years. Okay. And what does that mean? We have intimate conversations, intimate discussions. Uh, and, and like I say, I know their kids, they know me. We raised our families together. We are, you know, we just moved our relationship from, uh, remove the sexual component. You describe having a wife and then a couple of other relationships. Are they also in a relationship with your wife or yes. does she have partners outside of those two? Me and my wife have relationships with these two people. And what do you call that? Is there a name for such a relationship then? Well, actually, the original terms were polygyny and polyandry. Okay, so polygynous means one male, multiple women, right? Polyandry uh, means one woman, multiple men. This is the two predominant forms of poly as quote unquote around the world. These are the anthropological terms that most people use back in the days. So I'm technically a polygynist. Your two other partners are female. Yes, that is correct. When you met your wife, mm -hmm. you were a cheater. Yes. Um, and you met this woman and something happened. It's like, okay, this is the woman you want to spend the rest of your life with. How did you know that she was going to be into the stuff that you're into? You know, let me give you one interesting fact that happened in addition to this. Um, I was spending a lot of time at my mother's house and I had a small apartment. Uh, with another person. And I was running all my phone calls through my mother's home. And my mother sat me down one day and said, here's what's going to happen. Either you're going to tell all these people that you're cheating on them, or I am. <laughs> now, here's the difference. If I tell them they're going to hate you and not respect you, if you tell them, at least they're going to respect you. Nice. Right? Mom knows best. Exactly. I did what my mother told me. Called each and every one of them, let them all know, and most of them hated me. And at the end of the day, two stayed. Hmm. The person who I have a currently non-sexual 30-year relationship with and my wife of 25 years. We raised our kids together. We were in a relationship together. Uh, open, loving, polyamorous dynamic that you would probably see on television. And that came about because... I came clean. I said, I want to be able to have a relationship with this person and this person. I talked to my wife, my current wife, and she said, yes, as long as everything is honest and above board, I'm willing to give it a shot. The other person said, yes, let's give it a try. I introduced them together. They hit it off immediately. And we were inseparable for many years. Okay. So before this, though, were either women in any kind of open relationships or, you know, polyamorous relationships? You know what? I, we were all young back then. So in poly wasn't even a thing yet. Poly was still something that people did, you know, in remote little places and in, in like... Um, little colonies all over the place. <laughs> yeah, not, even, not even colonies. You know, the, the biggest purveyors of, of, of that thing was really Robert Heinlein's uh, kind of following the people who did the stranger in the strange lands and they were called water brothers and water sisters. So these people had little groups and little organizations all around the country where they were using the term water brother, water sister to denote what we currently call poly. 
So there are people who are doing poly under that name now, but it was very rare. It was very small. It's very isolated. It didn't blow up really big until, you know, let's say the late to the mid 2000s, like 2001 to 2005. Mm-hmm. That's where we start seeing it on MTV. This is where we start seeing on TLC. This is where we start seeing not only the type of relationships, but people using that language. And yet, People still think of it as pretty taboo, especially those who are not in the the lifestyle. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think what people think is taboo is really them not want is the resistance that comes up when they confront their desires. Hmm. If you ask most guys and you just survey what's their number one, number two, number three, number four fantasy, whatever it is, most people are going to say most men will say multiple women, most het men. That's been a common nomenclature, but what we've been told in, in order to have this is we have to lie to get it. We have to cheat to get it. We have to go outside of the relationships in order to ha- in order to fulfill that desire. So what I see personally is the taboo is people keeping up the front. This sense of, no, I don't want that, honey. Like, who would want that? You're perfect. You're everything I need. I don't need anything <laughs> other than this, right? And so what we're calling taboo is really people not willing to confront the, the desire for uh, multiple partnerships in this space. Also, the other thing is, is I don't want to give equality. I don't want to say that <clears throat> I can have multiple women, but you can't have multiple men because I, I, I want to be shared, but I don't want to share you. So that's another discussion that people aren't willing to have. So we confronted up with taboo. It's not taboo. It's just us not wanting to confront the realities of modern day living. So you've been on both sides of it. You have been non-monogamous, one, ethically, like you are now, where everyone is in on it, everyone knows. And then before, where you were just simply cheating because you kept it from everyone. Is there a difference in how your life is, whether you're doing it with knowledge versus how you were doing it? It's more difficult being ethical. Really? Yes. <laughs> you mean it's it's easier to cheat and lie and keep it from everyone? Yes. When you're good at it. You've got to explain. Why is it harder? <laughs> Why? Because you have to, there's so much growth that has to happen. And growth is painful. There's so many conversations that you have to have. Feelings that you have to manage, schedules that you have to manage, personalities that you have to manage. There's more sexual health and reproductive health conversations that you have to have, right? There's dealing with jealousy and rage. If I could just keep you in the dark and you never know that I'm cheating, that's a wonderful you wouldn't have thing. to deal. Yeah, you wouldn't have to deal with any jealousy or other emotions exactly. that come up. Exactly. Uh, and so it's and so I I could juggle at one point in time, 10 different, you know, relationships. And I'm talking about not just having sex. I'm talking about 10 different relationships where no one knew that I wasn't, you know, I'm living in two, in three different houses. I'm not bragging. I'm ashamed of it. You know, I'm keeping up this ruse that, oh, I I, I have to go on this. I'm, I'm gone for maybe a few days a, a week. Are you okay with that? When I come into the relationship, are we laying the ground where people are comfortable with me only spending two or three days in a space? So you were just a young man kind of sowing your seeds everywhere and uh, keeping it from everybody. Yes, that is exactly true. But there has to be an upside. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it the way you're doing it now. You know, if I'm being honest, I didn't want my mom to be ashamed of me. Uh huh. You know, what I mean, like that's that's a real thing. And um, I thought it was a victimless crime. You know, what I mean, and when I realized that I was hurting people, 
I realized that I was the person doing the hurting. I was the criminal. So then the upside is you don't feel the guilt. It's a lot more work, but you don't feel the guilt that you were feeling. That's correct. It's, and you give up one pressure for another. Sure. My grandfather used to say, if you can go to work, support your family, spend time with your kids, make your wife super happy, and you still got time to juggle a relationship, which you shouldn't, then please, by all means. But that means you have to do the same thing for that other person and the family that you're creating with them. And it's damn near impossible. I realized that it's going to be work to be polyamorous, not polysexual, polyamorous. It's a lot of work. And I'm willing to put in the work. Uh, how many kids do you have? I have a blended family with three kids and two grandkids. Are all of your biological children with the same woman? I only have one with the same woman. I have one with the same woman. My wife had two when we met. Did you ever talk to your kids? Did, did they know? Did your kids know that you guys had something that was not like most other families? Yes. At what age? At what age did they know? They knew as much as they could at that age. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we were well, still... they were born into it, right? They were born into that kind of uh, no, they arrangement? Were just, they were just really young. My One of my kids was born into it, but the other one, the other two were just very young at the time. And, and children are very accepting, you know what I mean? And really, until they have an understanding or it's brought to their attention, they don't know. They don't know any right? different. They don't know any different. Right. You know what I mean? It's not when they ask questions. It's not until they start asking questions. At what age and how do you handle that? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't remember the ages. So like teens? No, 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 no. Younger. Younger. Than that. Younger. Ah. Than that. Pre, pre-teens. About pre-teens is where I think children start thinking about intimacy and things like that or, or relationship dynamics. When they, st- I think when they start wanting boyfriends and girlfriends is when they start looking at the relationships of other people to see what that looks like. And so they begin to ask questions to their parents or to the adults in the room about those things so that they can have a better understanding of it. So that's when it comes. And what we did was we just did age-appropriate answers and only to the degree that we thought that they that their age and their knowledge was uh, accepting of. Uh-huh. Right. I think that where people get in trouble is they get nervous and start answering questions that weren't asked. We answer literally the question. And if we could get away with a yes or no, fine. <laughs> if it required us a minor explanation, fine. You know what I mean? But we kept all the the intimacy behind locked doors, you know, or when they weren't there or, you know, it was really important for us to be able to live as other people lived where we're not hiding people because we weren't ashamed of the life that we were living. I've never been ashamed of my, I was ashamed of who I was when I wasn't being ethical, but I'm a hardworking, go to work every, every morning, come home every night, you know, dedicated to my family, providing food for my, I'm doing the same thing that every other guy's doing, only I'm doing with multiple partners. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to live the same way that my friends were living. But funny thing is, is it was easier for my friends to accept me as a cheater as opposed to me being poly. Hmm. Yeah, it gets, it's so foreign to them. Yes, yes. And I had, a, I had a relative who was cheating horribly. I mean, he was pretty much, uh, pimp maybe a little strong, but he was pretty much to that degree with all these chicks. He was more looked up to with, amongst our peer group than I was. Hmm. Because my, my family knew and were consenting and, and chose to be in that dynamic. 
you have this amazing life with its challenges mm-hmm. that you built for yourself. Mm-hmm. At what point did you get into that other stuff? And I'm talking about like, you know, the fact that indigo is your property, mm-hmm. that there's talk of BDSM and stuff that I couldn't even understand when I read it. But when did you go down that road? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. And I'm going to tell it the way I remember it. My my partner of 30 years who introduced us to this remembers it very differently. So I just want to go on the record <laughs> before I explain this. She hates this story, but this is how I'm going to tell it. <laughs> so when I indigo and you know, I'm not going to use her name because I haven't gotten consent to use her name. Our partner and I broke up. So it was me and Indigo and this other partner left us for what she called a Dom. And I was like, what is a Dom? You know, who is Dom? Like, is this guy named Dominic? Because when I see Dominic, (laughs) I'm going to punch him out for, you know, (laughs) for breaking up my family. You know what I mean? Like I was angry and irate and she moved, she took um, her son who was you know, not my biological son, but I've been raising since he was one years old uh, with her and away from our family. And uh, we were devastated, devastated. And when she came back and we all made up and, you know, we didn't get back together, but we were friends again. She says, I want to introduce you to this lifestyle, to this thing, because I think that on some level you're dumb, you're dominant you might see other people who live and love the way you do in this space. And so I'm like, okay, uh, I'm open. Let's, let's see what it's about. And so uh, me and my wife put on our, you know, our our powder blue Georgetown Hoya hip hop outfits, (laughs) (laughs) powder blue with the visor and the tennis shoes. And, you know, we're matching. She, you know, she's got the little skirt on and we go to a goth club and I'm like, what's a goth club? And when we showed up at the door, you know, the bouncer said, you know, this ain't hip hop night. Like you might want to come back on a different day (laughs) because there's some stuff going on in there. (laughs) And after some convincing, he lets us in the door and they pull back this curtain. And I swear the whole place stopped. It froze. To look at you guys? To look at us because we're like, (laughs) first of all, we're black, a black couple walking in the door with like, powder blue colors on and <laughs> crushed velour powder blue sweatsuit. Come on. At the time, I was looking amazing. <laughs> if this were a hip-hop club, I'd be, you know, the peak of fashion. <laughs> and uh, it, it went back to normal. We found a seat and we began to watch the shows. And I, I, I'll i never forget it. There's this maybe eight-foot-high cubed crucifix with a woman suspended in it. And there's a guy in high heels, a mohawk in in stockings and lipstick and eyeliner choking this woman with his high heel. He's standing on her throat and just and choking. She's loving it. And, you know, then he takes out the whips and he starts whipping her and doing all these things. And I, at the moment I thought to myself, and I had to think very hard about this. I was thinking I could do this. (laughs) (laughs) Wait Wait a second. So, but was it a, was it a turn on? Did you find that you were sexually turned on watching it? It was not. It was not. A, it wasn't a turn on. It wasn't a turn off. What what intrigued us is the fact that they were performers. And I, I did rap music prior to this and I gave it up to be a family man. Like I left the studios and, and the touring and all that stuff behind, settled down, got nine to five. But the desire to be on stage to perform was really, really just calling me again. 
And uh, my wife was an actress, you know what I mean? A, a, a theater actress. And, you know, she had to stop to, to, to raise a family. And we both wanted to be back into this space of performing. We're both sexual beings, you know, and, and this was another opportunity for us to be in a space with, in front of an audience, you know, acting or being in the space. And it was it was wonderful. And the guy walked off the stage at the end of the night. Uh, my partner was a mutual friend and she introduced me to him and he said, Hey, you want to learn how to do this and out of the blue? And I said, yeah. And I never looked back. Wow. Now, before you went and experienced this, you had heard of obviously BDSM and no. bondage and all that. You hadn't heard about it? Come on. No, no, never. You'd never heard about it. Nothing. Never thought okay, about well, it. Okay. Well, then. Well, thinking about it is one thing, but I mean, haven't you ever heard that, yeah, some people like to be whipped or, you know, no, that never really never. The closest wow. thing I've seen the whipping was like uh, Jesus Christ Superstar or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> remember, not the same, not the same. Remember, you remember, I'm a person of color, you know, as a black person in the community, when it comes to sex and sexuality, we're very repressed. We're almost. Uh, right-leaning, conservative when it comes to sex and sexuality, especially if it's not mainstream boy-girl, male-female hierarchy. You know what I mean? It's very suppressed. So that would have never been a discussion. It would have never come up as normal sexual behavior ever. I, so I'd never heard of a, a flogging, a, maybe a spanking when you're when you're doing it from behind. That was supposed to be the cool thing when I was a kid. You know, you could <laughs> get a girl to let you do that. But uh, other than that, I'd never heard of it. You've progressed from there, yes? Yes. To what? I mean, let's name off some of the stuff that you're into or you're doing these days. You know, I, I think that it's not as sensational as we're leading up to be. <laughs> you know, like it's not, it's not that sensational. Uh, well, wait a second. What, what's fire play? Well, fire play is the erotic use of fire. Okay, well, hello. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. But, but let me say, you're in the fire play too. I am? Yeah. I mean, most people are like amazed and kind of intrigued by fire, no? Yeah, exactly. You you like candles, right? You, sure. you put the candles out for a romantic evening. So candles, romantic evening, directly attached to sexuality. Maybe throw in the fireplace. The warmth, the heat sets the mood, sets the ambiance. What am I doing? I'm doing the only thing I'm doing is taking it in my hand. Hmm. Right? And using it as an, a direct extension of my sexuality, whereas people are using it as a passive connection to their sexuality. And when I say sexuality, what we're talking about is the the method with which we navigate intimate situations is how we engage, that's engaging in your sexuality. So if you're doing intimate flirting, you're doing flirting, you're accessing your sexuality. If you're lighting candles to set the mood, you're creating an environment for your sexuality. This is what we're doing. And I'm doing the same thing, only I'm taking an active role with the fire. You're taking a passive role with the fire. What are you actually doing with fire? Well, it could be any number of things. I could take a, a torch, which is, uh, you probably seen fire eaters use them, or right. I may just blow hot air through the thing onto someone's body to kind of warm their body up. I may use it as a trust exercise where I say, hey, you know what? Stick your tongue out. Let me see if you'll, if I can put this on your tongue real quick. Or I may take it and put a trail down a person's body and they feel this warm heat going up their body and then all the endorphins and dopamine are triggered and released in their system. In the same way, if you've ever gotten to a really hot bath, like you're like, 
oh, I, can, I can barely, can I stand it? Do I need to run a little more water? Is it a little too hot, a little too cold? You know what I mean? Right. That feeling when it chills, it runs up your spine is the same thing that we're doing. Only I can produce that over and over and over again within the part, within the context of my partner. Huh. It is not painful if it's done correctly. It's exhilarating. It's fun. And it requires trust. Most people won't trust their partner to give them a foot massage. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas I'm trying to build, actively build trust on a regular basis so that we can go deeper and deeper into a person's desire. What else are you into? There's things that I'm into and there's things that I do. I'm not into a lot. I, I do a lot, but it's not, you know, for clients, for the people that I coach, for the people I do scenes with, for people I do performance with, I'm willing to be a great giver within the spectrum of my skill set. But there's very few things I'm into. So now, do you want to talk about what I do or ah. do you want to talk about what I'm into? Well, it sounds like what you do might be more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do breath play, knife play. I do flogging. I do spanking. I do paddling. I do caning. I do bull whipping. I do both uh, erotic bondage, uh, bondage and meditation. I do shibari. I do suspensions. Um, <gasps> oh, you know, I, I do pretty much everything with the exception of medical play. I do uh, climax Wait, training. What? What's medical yes. play? Medical play is uh, a type of play that use medical instruments that people are into because some people fetishize the dynamic between, um, you know, doctors and, and patients. Mm, never heard of that before. Yeah. Well, you know, some people go into, you know, into a gynecologist and they're like, you know, or a proctologist and, you know, because of the power dynamic they're being told and they're submitting to bend over or to go into the stirrups or be in a very vulnerable position and allow this person inside them. And because of the control, because of the power, it has a direct access to their sexuality. Mm-hmm. Right. So some people sexualize and they want to play it out in, in other places. So there's really, I mean, there really is something for everybody, right? Oh yeah. As far as fetishes go. Well, fetishes, kink, BDSM, all different stuff. Huh. It's all different things. And let me explain to you like this. Kink is the umbrella term. Okay. Kink means any deviation from what you think is normal. Whatever you think is normal, anything outside of that is kinky. So then what may be kinky to me may not be kinky to you. Correct. You know, in the, in the uh, Victorian ages, if a woman got on top, that was considered kinky, right? In the early 20s, doing it doggy style was kinky, right? Putting a finger in a man's rectum is considered kinky and a little taboo in many states, right? So kink really is anything that that person feels is outside of normal sexual behavior. So now let's talk about what kink is, right? Is, is getting a spanking kinky? I guess it depends on the person, huh? It depends on the person. And then it gets even more intricate. If you like a spanking during sex, can I spank you before sex? Oh, that's kinky. I'm, I don't know about that. Why? <laughs> What's the difference? You know what I mean? And people literally have a different a, a difference of opinion on this. Huh. I've had conversations with people where you say, well, I say, well, when he's when you're having sex, maybe he's from behind and he's smacking you. Are you OK with it? Oh, yeah, I love it. So if he bent you over bed before he's inside of you and spanks you. Oh, no, that's dirty. Like, <laughs> it's literally the same act, different time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very, very interesting. I think that's really the first time I've actually looked at it that closely. Mm. Uh, people throw around the word kink, kinky, fetish, and kind of put it all in one one cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently it's not. 
you have to differentiate it when you get paid for it. Ah, that's why. See, that's why you know so much. <laughs> I, I think I know a little bit about it. But, you know, when you again, if you go into an ice cream place and they're only serving uh, they're only serving pie, you're like, well, you're like, they're both desserts. It's like, oh, yeah, but one's a very specific type. Like I could put ice cream on pie, like right. they go together, but they're not the same thing. And I was advertising that we do, you know, you advertise that you did this thing and that's why I came in. So you have to be right. very clear. If a person's a fetishist, it's very different than BDSM because BDSM is very specific. Bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Aside from your own lifestyle, this has now turned into work and yes. work you enjoy, right? Exactly what do you do? Well, it depends. Most of the time I'm educating couples on how to get kinky with each other, how to explore each other's ideas of what kink is, and then have the conversation and then find ways for them to safely navigate that space together. Then uh, there are people who do not have partners who are looking to explore this and want to have an experience with a trusted professional. And so I give uh, people opportunities to uh, explore their desires in the realm of kink. And then there's people who, uh, and those are people who want to receive. And then there's people who want to learn how to do this. So I teach people how to flog or whip or use fire or become essentially better lovers with a more diverse spectrum of uh, skills. Now, for people who aren't familiar, who've never done anything like this, I mean, they may think kink is something you should be able to just explore on your own. Like, if you think it's kinky, you do it. But it sounds like people may need help in kind of figuring out what is the kink that they're after. Yes. You know, at the end of the day, people can get hurt. You know, I mean, I understand that it's billed as uh, sex and sexuality, but this is a type of sex or sexuality where people can be hurt and even harmed, uh, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. So it's really important that if you're going to engage in this type of behavior, that you at least seek out a professional or do some research, right? And, and make sure that you have some, some experiences, you know, but most people don't want to do this because they're ashamed to talk about this. They're too afraid that their friends are going to find out because the way people in this industry get demonized is absurd. And uh, and people don't want to be treated in the same way. So they subvert the process, you know, and they start engaging this on their own and they wind up hurting or harming their partner. I mean, are we talking like normal folk, normal people into this kind of stuff? Well, I, I'd say that you're abnormal if you're not into it. <laughs> If you tell me that you've never had a fantasy that you haven't acted on, then I would say that you are a liar. We all have fantasies that we don't act on, right? It doesn't mean that we don't fantasize about them. There's all there's desires that we are not going to tell our partner that we have, that we kind of want to experience. If you're saying that that doesn't exist, I would say that you're a liar, huh. right? Everybody has desires that they're not speaking to. Carl Jung called them shadow. Right. It's the shadow. It's the part that we suppress because we're worried that other people are going to judge us around it. It's the part that we don't want society to know. Right. This is a part of what Freud called the inner dialogue. What I'm trying to do is get you to speak to that. I create a safe, consensual environment where people can explore their shadow. And I don't care what it is. I'm not going to judge you on it. 
And so you, a person might say, well, you know what? I really have this desire to serve. Like I, I want to be service. I don't want to be ashamed of it. You know, I, I want, I really want to service my partner. And I'm like, let's find a way for you to have this conversation with your partner. Right. Oh, I don't have one. Well, I'll provide, I'll be the surrogate for that. Hmm. Let's, let's talk about how that looks and let's explore it, find a way to explore it safely for you. And are these professional people, educated people? Oh, yeah. Wilfred Bion called this, uh, called BDSM the thinking man's sex. Hmm. I would say that it's full of people who are intellectual, are thinking, are growing, are actively pursuing their wants, needs, and desires. And that's what this is about. It's about creating the environment that you want to be in, not hoping that you wind up in it. And, and do you think it takes a level of maturity and obviously time so that people who are a little bit older, you know, so you're not you're in your 20s, maybe not even in your 30s, that as you get older, more and more people are starting to explore this part of them? When I first came in, I was probably one of the youngest people in there in my early 20s. And when I started finding the lifestyle, not the clubs and the performances, but the lifestyle was predominantly people in their 40s, 50s, 60s doing this. And what I found was people were scared that they were going to be found out by their mothers, their parents, their friends, their whatevers, or their children. And so they waited until they were in their 40s, waited till they were in their 50s to start engaging around this. And now they found that they can't flog as long or they have erectile disorder or, or um, you know, they're more worried about their retirement or these other things to really engage in a way that they want to, or they can't learn. They don't have the dexterity to learn how to do these things proficiently. Then you think it's, it's kind of in everybody, yes. like everyone's got a side of them. It just so happens that for whatever reasons, you know, whether it's cultural or dealing with society and dealing with your family and responsibilities. Mm-hmm that we're finding it's people in their 40s and 50s that all of a yes. sudden, boom, it's not like you hit 40 and you went crazy. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I think you're exactly right. I think that the people who are conforming more to societal standards wait longer to get into it. But now we're also seeing, uh, now that I'm older, we're seeing younger and younger people come into it because the same and the stigma is not really placed on it anymore. Also, people, uh, generations, uh, millennials and Generation Z aren't having children in the same way that my generation was. I had my kids, I had my daughter at 17. My wife had her first child at 17. You know what I mean? So we were young parents, you know, who in our uh, 30s and 40s became, you know, now our kids are 18, 19, 20 in our 30s. And we can start exploring heavier into it. How do people find you? OrpheusBlack.com, Orpheus Black on every social media platform humanly possible, or <laughs> the OrpheusBlack at gmail.com. Do you think that humans were made to be monogamous? I don't know. I don't know because I think humans are made to have desires and some desire monogamy and some desire polyamory. Have you ever met anyone who you think is naturally monogamous? Yes, two of them. Really? Oh, two. <laughs> <laughs> the only two men, you know, I, I think that the only two men I know that since we were children, they only wanted one girlfriend, one, never played the field, you know, always talked about getting married and what their wife was going to be like and what it was going to be like to have kids and, and live that type of solitary 
uh, lifestyle with a partner, I have, I know too. Never cheated. Never want to go out looking for girls. When uh, you know, never want to go out and party when they got a girlfriend. They stayed home, or they were with them. I believe it's a choice. It, it really is a choice, and some people choose to be monogamous. It sounds great, especially as you're older and you're able to explore all of these other things. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's worked out great for you and and mm-hmm. you know a lot of the people you know. But are there instances where? It doesn't work out so well that it is damaging, that you can screw up your whole family, that your partner's not going to be understanding. Oh, yeah. You you got to know that when you go in there to have that conversation that anything can happen. And so for me, I think you have to know if this is who you are or what you want. If this is just something you want because you think it's cool or you're going to get all this, you're going to get laid a lot and it's going to be this thing. I can tell you that it's not worth the risk. Mm-hmm. So for me, if you're going to take this opportunity, you really need to do some deep introspective and even bring in a professional, like talk to someone who is a therapist or a coach or someone who's familiar with poly, have a conversation to find out if this is just an egoism or if this is a real affectation of yourself, you know, really take the time to look and think about about this thing, because you may ruin your life, you may ruin your family, you may lose your kids, you may there's lots of things that can happen. So, and I've seen it happen, mm-hmm. but if you, but if this is who you are, it's like, it's like, if you're gay, you know, is it, is it worth suppressing yourself? You know, this is who I am. And, and, and I took the risk and for me, it paid off, but I know others that it didn't pay off for when it works out, the world is your oyster. <laughs> <laughs> And we're certainly glad that everything seems to have worked out well for Orpheus Black. To find them, him, them, him and the other two, and the rest of them, go to OrpheusBlack.com. All right, next time on Consenting Adults. A really rough start for one couple in the lifestyle, but they learned a lot from it, and they have a lot to share. Just looking at your partner in that way that says... I want to get out of this is not going to work. You need to have, you know, three squeezes on the knee or pull my leg hair or tap me on the shoulder or whatever it is. So, you know, because nobody wants to have a big uncomfortable situation where you jump up and blow a whistle and be like, oh, we got to stop. I'm freaking out. That's next time on Consenting Adults. Consenting Adults.